So awesome. You're Nikola Tesla. Now I know. <laughs> You're the reincarnation because who did that? This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and friendly than other people expect. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people with a focus on the capital, Kiev, so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, visit the country, and invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generation to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz, and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to clean the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero to me. And even though this caused him to have cancer, and then he passed away 17 years later, he always told me so many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I could not return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19. So this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. And thank you all for the support. Because of your support, this podcast now is ranked number one on Apple Podcasts about Ukraine, top 60 travel podcasts in the United Kingdom, top 50 travel podcasts in Italy, top 25 travel podcasts in Russia. And I'm sure many Ukrainian people in Russia are listening to connect with their home country and now top 20 in travel podcasts on Apple Poland. My guest today is wonderful. She is Tanya Gerasimova from the Kiev National Taras Shevchenko University, where she has a PhD in mathematics to being an assistant professor at the Kiev Polytechnic Institute, from being the head of pre-strategy at the MBA strategy to the CEO of Znua to the chief operating system of Smarty Ads. It's, it's so cool. It's like so many great things. She loves running and mathematics. In some ways, you can say that her life is either running to relax her brain from <laughs> learning math or math and then getting that sweet Eureka moments that come from learning new things and seeing the world differently. She is now the co-owner of Prostir, and she will tell us all about it. Tanya, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I guess today is an awesome day because I at least talk with you about my life. <laughs> I am really glad and happy to listen and to explore your life and your mind. So to give us an overview or a context, can you share like this short version of the story that made you the Tanya of today? Okay, uh, I guess I always thought that I would be a mathematician and actually I was <laughs> because I I guess I had uh, some uh, very nice strong articles in mathematics, uh, I mean in 
uh, Elsevier linear algebra and its applications. And also I um, got um, more than 10 grants across the world just to study or to share my uh, scientific research. And I visited a lot of uh, countries. So I really love mathematics because of that. <laughs> but then I turned, uh, I guess, my, my life direction to education. So that's why I worked uh, in uh, several education projects where, you, as you mentioned, I was uh, CEO of uh, Zenoa UA, for example, it's an educational project uh, where we prepare to standardize tests in Ukraine. And now <laughs> I, I'm co-owner in Project uh, Proster, uh, where we teach actually teachers how to, che to, to teach in this uh, modern world because it uh, changes uh, rapidly. And uh, I guess uh, like institutions, uh, they like not uh, they don't manage uh, to to be really flexible in this uh, world especially in the world of covid 19 i guess uh, all countries uh, try to uh, make this um, shift from the offline education to the online education and it's quite really hard without any practice it's hard for teachers so it's, <laughs> I guess it's a short answer for your question. I love it. And <laughs> we will speak about Prostier. But to me, now I'm fascinated by something. I know that mathematics is actually the language of nature, of reality, of life. So you are in love with it, which is very rare and unusual. And even some people who are, have PhDs in math only do that because they're good at it, not because they love it. And I am wondering two things. One, why do you love math? But more importantly, do you see life in a different way because of your knowledge of mathematics? I guess, yes. I love mathematics uh, because of, of its structure. I mean, I, I see the world in structures, in patterns, in connections, and uh, I use mathematics every day. And I guess it's the like the main reason why I shift uh, myself to education, because I guess I can uh, help you with my uh, mathematics, uh, <laughs> mathematical see, um, like mathematical vision of uh, this world. Uh, I, I can change the education. I guess so. <laughs> uh, the education, okay. I, I mean... I, I'm yeah. going to ask a hard question because yesterday I was speaking with a LinkedIn executive and I asked him the same question, which is dealing with the fact that we can see patterns because our brain is a pattern-making machine when in reality, those are not patterns or like the Nobel Prize winner, um, Richard Feynman, he is speaking about that. Well, it's only because you have a model that you will have the mathematical applications that correspond to that model, but it doesn't mean that it's correct. It's only that that model seems to have its own pattern. So since you say you see the world in patterns, and this is a difficult question, it's like philosophical even, how do you know when a pattern is real or it's the brain who loves patterns that is creating a pattern that is not there, but the brain sees it because it deletes the information that doesn't confirm that bias? 
It's nice question. Actually, I don't know. And I really like uh, another Nobel Prize winner, uh, Daniel Kahneman. I guess you you know him about uh, at least his book, Thinking yes. Slow. Yes. And uh, yes. And I uh, learned a lot about uh, our brain during the last, I guess, decade, because uh, it, it's really true that uh, we have a lot of bias. And uh, I really know that we have a lot of traps with our brain and with uh, our, um, how, how is it, prejudice, uh, our objections. So you, you always should be really open-minded. I, I guess, yes, you have a lot of patterns inside your uh, inside your head <laughs> inside your brain but you should always uh, to see uh, to see your like take a look on your patterns as the first time and ask uh, the question for yourself is it really um, the the only way to see it I, I mean are there any other patterns or maybe uh, there is no any pattern at all <laughs> you know there is very nice experiment when the, uh, when like there was a room where uh, the light come in uh, some random way and uh, uh, each like uh, every person come to this room and try to, to see the pattern and actually Every every person <laughs> came back and say that he saw it and uh, explained which pattern he saw. And actually, there were no any patterns. So this story always uh, <laughs> tell me that okay, Tanya, it's a good idea, but you need to to check it <laughs> because your brain can uh, really um, fool you. <laughs> Yes, that's what I ask, and it's a wonderful question. Now to ask you more of an artistic question, because I know Mozart, what made him so special is that his brain was unique, that he saw uh, sound and music as colors, and therefore he would paint with the music, and when he saw beautiful colors, he knew that the music will be excellent, and his classical music is renowned. To ask you, I don't know. But what is in your brain that makes you love uh, math and see patterns? Do you have something special like that? Like your brain connects things very fast and then you see things that are linked together, um, which is similar to me. I mean, then we're friends in this way. Or do you see some colors or you get some emotions and feelings that allow you to enjoy math and to be better at math than most people? Um, I, I, I think it's not really about colors. It's really similar as, um, I don't know if you saw this uh, very famous sitcom about, uh, chess, um, I don't know how it's... The Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit, yes. Uh, and if you remember this uh, chess board <laughs> on the ceiling, I, I, I see almost the same when I, I uh, try to, to solve something in mathematics. I see it's physical in my brain. So it's some structure where I can go like uh, and... Uh, can zoom it in or out something like that and see different connections so awesome you're nikola tesla now i know <laughs> you're the reincarnation because who did that he would build machines in his brain and make them run and fast forward like in four minutes they run 40 years and then he will see 
which parts will be weak and he will then correct it and run that for months in his head all the variations of the machinery until in the end he has a perfect machine that he will create in reality but to you you see math in terms of physical structures which is really now related to running i imagine and i think you are someone who is embodied what does this mean it means that you're not so much um, a person who deals with like conceptual more imagination that doesn't exist but with practical things and you like to live in practical life and touch the re real world rather than to live in imaginary worlds. Is this correct understanding or it's just an assumption? Uh, I guess, yes, I guess you, you're really uh, correct. I really uh, like uh, the practical side of the mathematics and maybe that's why I finished my career in mathematics uh, because I, I needed people, I needed more practice and I needed to, to see like uh, the results when you apply some mathematical uh, point of view. And sometimes you even... Uh, can't uh, explain how you see, <laughs> especially when you run the business, actually, because I, I was CEO or CEO of uh, some quite big company. And uh, I saw, like, for example, even in financial reports, I can just uh, take a look and see the mistake because I see uh, like the huge, like the whole view and I need uh, at least like like 30 minutes to explain <laughs> why it is mistakes there. So it's all about mathematics actually. That's wonderful. Actually, it reminds me of the story of a really famous Indian mathematic mathematician who had the same thing where he will know exactly what the answer should be that people spent years trying to figure it out. But then he didn't know how to explain how to get there from the beginning. And he used to say that it was the Indian gods who gave him the answer because he didn't like go step by step to get there. It was always the correct answer that nobody knew before. But then they spent all those years trying to find the way to get from A to the end of it. And to ask you, now I'm curious about running why is running important and enjoyable to you some people it could be just because they like to be healthy other people it's like a small vacation from their life where they forget everything other people it's the good feeling what they call runner's high where at the end of running you feel really good and really invigorated and energized and to some people, maybe it was like a family tradition or something you picked up at school and you maintained the habit. To you, why is it so such a passion? Okay, I guess um, I have two reasons why I love running. And first of all, it, it definitely is uh, just about um, my health and uh, it's just about harmony between brains and my bodies because if you work a lot with brains you know yeah, <laughs> it's it's maybe not really healthy for you and the other point that uh, I really need like you know that we have uh, two uh, way of thinking it's just focused or dif uh, diffused so if you if I don't know how to solve some even mathematical problem, I need uh, uh, like some 
time where uh, I don't think about this problem, but really uh, the solution will, will come to me. So it's diffuse way uh, of thinking. So when I run, especially after like fifth kilometer, <laughs> my brain will uh, give me a, a lot of solutions to problems that I asked before. <laughs> That's wonderful. Actually, there is a really good book. It's called uh, A Technique for Producing Ideas by James W. Young. And he talks in it how you should get like if you have a problem or you're looking for an idea in something you should fill your brain with all the data about it but then let it go and do other things and trust that it will just crunch the numbers and do the necessary to give you when you don't expect the idea a great idea and that it's important to fill your subconscious with that information not just wait without doing anything so it's a wonderful process and it's a short book but i will ask you something Ford said that thinking is the hardest thing that human beings can do. That's why so few um, do it. And I know that even scientifically, when we don't use our brain, it already uses 20% of our oxygen or more. When we use it, it's really like a high number. To you, how do you, uh, like, is it easy for you to just spend time thinking and doing mathematics because you love it? And if you go on vacation and don't do those thinking uh, sessions for a while and return, and it's you need to return to that habit, is it difficult? And if so, what do you do to return and have that possibility to think deeply in your day? So there may be the listeners who want to start, but know that in the beginning it's difficult because humans uh, conserve energy. Like, what is your thought and advice on having that habit of thinking, even if either you lost that habit because you went on vacation or because, um, like um, my guest from today, which is Olga Nechaeva, uh, she said that she's a champion sportswoman, but she said human beings are lazy, so I have to force myself, but that's why I benefit. In my life, thinking is just more than habit. Uh, I used to, I, I mean, I think almost every day and I learn something new every day. So I, re I read a lot and even if I don't have any opportunity to study something or to read something, I always try to uh, see uh, what happened around me. Uh, I mean, you're can just observe something and you will get a lot of insights about real world how how it works i don't know even just uh, try to understand why why the waiters uh, they have a really uh, marvelous brain because they remember uh, every uh, order and uh, it, it, how it corresponds to the people uh, at the table for example <laughs> so i i thought about such stuff and try to find the answer so i guess i um, it, there is not. It is just not my case that I can uh, just turn off my brain for ten days <laughs> and then try to, to um, come back. So it's it's just my life habit to think. That's cool, <laughs> actually. It is very cool. So now let's go deeper into learning because now I'm excited. Human beings can have this desire or drive to learn for a few reasons. One, they enjoy learning because, well, to be human is to learn. 
second, it's about control, that the more you understand life, the more you can have security and control in it. Or it can be more about, um, well, an identity. I am a learner. I spent all of my life learning, so I will continue to do it forever. Which is the deeper reason? Like, if you think back, was there a moment in your life where you discovered your love for learning or you began to have the motivation uh, for it? Or what? why is learning every day about life specifically, about life, not just learning from books, which is important too? Why is that important to you? Because it's, uh, I, I don't know, because it's really interesting. It's really interesting to see how uh, this word uh, works. That's all. It's, I don't know, it's not about that I um, get something from, from it. It's just, I, I don't know, I, I'm just wondering every day <laughs> how uh, is beautiful our nature and uh, how, um, how many, um, how, how uh, you, you know, we don't use uh, yourself uh, even, I don't know, in 20%, I mean, of our power. We, we don't know yourself or ourselves. So it's <laughs> just interesting nothing more i guess <laughs> that's really great i'm glad we had this discussion i actually enjoyed the insights about this so to speak now okay now before we speak about the the new um company you founded i want to know since you always see the beauty around you tell me when you look in kiev and in ukraine all the beauty that you see whether the people or the living situation or the conditions to share it with the world so that people see and understand the beauty that you see personally when you look around you in Ukraine. Okay, so first of all is the beauty of nature, definitely. And second, the beauty of people that you uh, can just to meet <laughs> that's all and i guess the third one is um third one third one is the beauty i don't know is the beauty of uh, wait wait i'm noticing something you are a happy person which yeah. normally in ukraine where people say that they are closed about their emotions so i will ask are you happier than normal people and do you have that thing where you have a poker face when you walk around or a smiling face? And <laughs> how can you be both a scientist who is into math and have so much emotions, which is normally opposite to the stereotype of a scientist that has glasses and is always neutral in their emotion and think like a robot? So how, I mean, like it's three things. One, are you more emotional than other girls in Ukraine or the same? But uh, also, do you have like a serious face, but you're full of emotions? And third, are did emotions help you be a better scientist? Or sometimes you wish you were a robot, like the stereotype of a scientist? I'm not sure that I'm more emotional that, uh, than usual girls or even boys. I, I guess uh, I definitely... Uh, I share more emotions than usual people. Uh, I try to be uh, to be uh, open to people, uh, and I think 
I, I'm sure that the happiness is just the choice, and I choose uh, to be to be happy. That's all. <laughs> and uh, I guess when it doesn't matter, you are the scientist or you're I don't know the waiter or you're the actress. Uh, if you are happy, uh, it will help, of course, because uh, if you're happy. You will uh, choose the people around you. You will choose uh, the environment. I don't know. You will choose the work that you love, and uh, you will choose uh, all. You will do everything that you want to do, <laughs> and uh, this is really um, will change your life definitely. <laughs> it's fantastic. I was actually writing a book about happiness and the science of it and everything. And there is a section that was, you know, a bit of a struggle to me, which is I say exactly what you say, that happiness is a choice. But then people say, okay, how do I choose to be happy? And it's not easy to explain. So to ask you, you said to choose to be happy. Well, if some person came to you and said, Tanya, I want to choose to be happy. What do you do? How can I follow your steps and choose to be happy too? What would be your answer? I guess first, and this is quite a huge step, is just to understand to understand yourself. I mean, I mean, um, ask yourself what uh, what I really want, what I really like, what I don't like, uh, what uh, is it okay for me, what is not okay for me, and etc. So it's really quite big research about yourself because uh, I don't know how in other countries, but in Ukraine, people uh, always know a lot. They thought that they think that they know a lot about other people, but they really don't know anything about yourself. <laughs> and, and when uh, you ask them what do you want in this situation uh, and uh, people just uh, stay in and pause and keep silence and say I don't know so this is the first step when you will understand what you love and what you want uh, to do in this life you will find next steps how to be happy uh, so this is maybe <laughs> my suggestion <laughs> It, it's wonderful. You know, in Delphi, in the Oracle Temple, they had on top of it this saying, which is know thyself, that that is the first step in life, that you cannot be yourself before you you know yourself. So many people say, be yourself, be yourself. Well, the first step is you have to know what you want, who you are, and then you can really be yourself. I noticed you wanted to say something. Uh, yeah, I just want... You know, you said that from other uh, speakers that people are lazy. Uh, I guess uh, the, uh, people, you should have some courage uh, to make a step to your soul, I guess. And it's, um, it's really hard sometimes, but uh, it's uh, really rewardable. <laughs> you will do it <laughs> just listen yourself but not other people and i love this <laughs> i love what you're saying please do you have a story or a moment where you did not have the courage before but then something happened and you said no i want to be not this person i want to have courage and to be myself and to step 
like you said. Can you speak about that? Maybe in your life something happened or you learned something that made you change because we're not born with courage. It's something we learn in life. Um, I guess, um, I guess the last moment uh, in my life was when I realized that I work a lot. I mean, uh, all, all my day, like uh, I worked without uh, any uh, day offs <laughs> and I didn't have vacations for more than uh, several years. And in one day I realized, uh, I just asked the question for yourself, what, uh, what really I do? Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's not okay for uh, your health. It's not okay for your um, like relatives and uh, close people and other. So you you just, as you said, you like working machine, something like that. And in that moment, I realized that I should understand, <laughs> should <laughs> made, made to make some research and understand myself what I really want and how to find this balance between uh, work, be- between creativity, be- between learning, between a love, uh, relationships. And because, uh, you know, it's like a, a will of life. Uh, the, each section is really important. The life is not only work uh, or it's not only family. You have a lot of uh, part that you should think about and decide uh, how to find the time for it, for your body, for your brain, for your uh, soul, for <laughs> your relationships, I don't know, for your family and et cetera, et cetera, to be an in- integral person. <laughs> I love what you're saying. I don't know whether you're talking integral as in the integral sciences from Ken Wilber, but I know 100% that the wheel of life is from Tony Robbins. So you learn a lot. I love what you're saying and that you had that meta awareness that happens rarely of being in a routine and then stopping to think, okay, this is not what I want. It's not working. I will change. And that's a beautiful moment that makes you really, by definition, of the definition of Joseph Campbell, that you are a hero because you had that moment of awakening to your life and choosing to have the courage to go in another path. So you are not just a PhD, you are a hero girl. I don't know how, uh, in French it will be called heroine, which is heroine. <laughs> so like in English, it's not, because really heroine when it was first done, it was really the word of female hero because it made people feel like heroes and do like be stronger and everything. So I think in 1920s, they used it and they used to have the nickname that it's uh, the the little he- heroine, which is the little hero girl. And from there, it became heroine. To ask you now about your new um, company, can you yeah. first explain what is the problem now in the teaching situation of people moving from uh, offline teaching to online, what struggles and obstacles are they facing? And how are you solving this? Oh, we have a lot of problems. First of all, that we, uh, this is like problems with uh, our brain. I mean, 
uh, it's really big difference that you see like real people in front of you. You can go like closer and see what uh, each uh, person just write or what uh, uh, what they are doing now, for example. But when you uh, you're teaching through Zoom, for example, you see at least like in in the best case uh, only faces, uh, so you you don't really uh, see what um, all people actually do, and uh, there is a huge problem with uh, attention uh, because it, it's quite hard. And other po- point is, uh, uh, I, I don't know, um, it's really important stuff. Uh, uh, the energy. I mean, uh, when you uh, when you uh, teach, you uh, all all this um, how you say all this like process of teaching. It's uh, the process of uh, how to say. Is it exhausting or passing energy mm. to other people? Yes, or, it, it just some uh, passing to energy from you to uh, children or students, and they pass the energy to you back. So it's, uh, it's always interchanging uh, the energy, and uh, when you like go after your lesson and you're exhausted uh, I mean if, if you're as a teacher and you're exhausted uh, that's a problem that you it, it means that you did something wrong and the same situation with students after uh, the lesson they should be not exhausted but uh, feel um, of energy energized yeah energized uh, but when you teach through like uh, online you you need just to, um, it's just really different word it's uh, not like uh, you today you come to the classroom and tomorrow you just uh, turn on uh, the zoom and you can uh, use the same methodology not it's definitely different word and uh, you should like um to try to get this experience, I mean, and change your methodology. And you need uh, at least the same time as you spend in the classroom, I mean, in the offline, because it's uh, it's not the same. And when uh, the administration try to, uh, like, try to say teachers that uh, why you don't teach, like, as usual way, because it's not possible. And uh, the big obstacle that... Uh, really um uh, there is some there are like i i guess the small number of people who really understand how to teach uh in in the online world because uh you know we, we had uh, like technology uh more than i guess um, t- 20 years but it doesn't mean the teachers uh have experience <laughs> to teach through technology really so this is really um like it, it is really interesting. It's different world, but at least we need time. And uh, you know that it's quite hard to um, to learn something new for experienced teachers. Uh, experienced teachers, it's uh, they are the hardest students in the world. Just be- believe me, <laughs> because they uh, always uh, know everything. Uh, usually they. Uh, stay too long the smartest person in the room i mean when you teach uh, your students usually like not as smart as you 
uh, this is not true, but teachers uh, usually think that it is true. That, uh, for example, I know uh, more in mathematics if I teach you mathematics. <laughs> so, and when you realize yeah. that you really don't know how to teach through online t- technology, uh, it it's really complicated to go uh, through this frustrating, I guess. Look, I'm a specialist in this, and I will give you some advice that you're literally asking people, like you said, to admit that they're incompetent by joining your company. So the marketing message needs to change. And to ask you then some information first, who is the decision maker? Because you're speaking about teachers, and I'm pretty sure it's not the teachers who decide whether to hire you or not. It's the administration or someone else, maybe uh, if it's uh, part of the government or um, of the Ministry of Education. So first, who is the person who makes the decision of yes or no about using you? And I think it's not the teachers unless they pay with their own money to hire you. It really depends. Sometimes it it's just teachers, and sometimes uh, it, the decision comes from administrators. It really depends, and actually, it, it is like it's easier when the decision comes from teachers. Actually, because you know, I don't know if you uh, if you read the book uh, of Timothy Govey, The Inner's Game. He uh, told very nice uh, stuff about the. When we talk about learning, uh, the student, like uh, the person who uh, study, who, who learns something, he should uh, decide to to. He should make the decision to study to learn something, and this is some something inner. When uh, if the teacher will come to me, for example, and he's uh, or she is in some some kind of fixed mindset, uh, it could be that it could be the chance that I will not help him. Yes, for sure, it's it it my actually it is my work <laughs> to do this shift in. I mean to um, to have different. Are you sure? Because. <laughs> No, no, really. I love what you spoke about. You're speaking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And you spoke about intrinsic motivation compared to extrinsic motivation, where either the drive comes from the people or they are told what to do. But there is something in persuasion and sales, which is called high probability selling, which is that really you cannot change people's minds. If you try to do so, it's ineffective. It's much better to find people who are already interested and to spend your time helping those. And there are 8 billion people in the world. You don't need just uh, one this one person. Rather than spend your time trying to convince and someone, especially when you're dealing with teachers. So to ask you, is there a type of teacher or a type of person that seems to be more open to your work than those other teachers you said who are the um, smartest person in the room or they believe so because it's much, much better to find people who already will like you than to try to make people who don't like you like you. It's like a totally different thing. No, I 
I don't really like this category of like or don't like me. I I, I like more category they, uh, that the people, um, you can need some help <laughs> to change something in uh, your usually work, I mean, in teaching. Or you, for now, just don't need. But if uh, I really work, uh, I guess in 99%, uh, my work is the change in attitude, not knowledge. Because uh, um, teachers really know a lot, but uh, they uh, really, um, usually they work in some fixed mindset. And I tried to show them that there is some other words, um, yeah, other yeah. way yeah. of being to ask you. So, do teachers come and pay you to change their attitude, or are oh. you saying that you change the attitude <laughs> so that teachers will come? Because that's not possible. I mean, I, I, unless Ukraine or you deal with some special people who pay you to change their attitude. No, uh, not really. Yeah, work? of course, it's impossible. They pay for a change in their way of teaching. This is important. They want to teach better. They pay for this. But if you want to teach better, you you, you know that we can change in, in learning. You can change or your knowledge or your skills or your attitude. And the, uh, really often the key to success is in attitude, but not in knowledge. Because they know a lot, but it doesn't mean that uh, they Wonderful. do it. <laughs> now I'm understanding. So it's people who come to you already wanting to change their uh, way of teaching and you help them change their attitude. It's not people who didn't even come to you, which is what I was speaking about when I said like, it's just to use an easy word to understand. And then, okay, let's speak specifically then. Why? Not in general like they should, because you use the word should, which is good. But if you study the uh, sciences of uh, REBT, which is remote em emotive behavioral therapy, that people don't know, don't do what they should at all. It's like if people did what they should, the world will be such a much better place. Even people who had like heart surgery and the doctor tells them, don't smoke or you'll die. <laughs> After four months, they will smoke <laughs> again and they shouldn't. But it's human nature to do uh, like the habit rather than what they should. So to ask you specifically, what problem do they face? Like they see, oh, my students are having bad grades or, oh, I feel so exhausted at the end of the day or, oh, this is so overwhelming. I feel so confused or, oh, my administration now thinks I'm a bad teacher because my students are not studying well like what is the specific problem that makes those teachers who didn't even change their attitude yet come to you and say okay i need a solution uh, it's simple my students lacks uh, my students lack of motivation to learn anything or in simple words they don't want anything just <laughs> don't, don't don't bother them <laughs> and teachers come to me and say what can i do because uh, my students don't want to study anything great how do they know i'm not saying like as a general thing but since you deal with the physical world my students 
uh, don't want to learn anything is a normalization or a conceptual thinking. I'm saying in practice with their eyes, ears, hands, what do they see that they know, okay, my students, maybe they see their faces bored. Maybe the students don't complete the assignments well. Uh, so they see that the assignments are not as good as they used to. Like what is the thing that they see in the students that they know, okay, these students are not motivated now and this is bad. So they don't keep attention, for example. They don't do any assignments. They don't ask, don't ask questions. They don't want uh, some extra projects, for example. So they don't want uh, to, to do any research. Great. I love that about questions. So let's say they come to you because their students are not asking any questions in the Zoom. Is this something that would be relevant to their life and they notice commonly? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yes. Great. So now I'm thinking, and just to ask you, in many, many um, countries in the world, not developed too much, teachers are only teachers because they want the money. They don't really care about the students, but some other, like, I'm not saying in a bad way, like the most important is that they will get a paycheck that is safe and they don't lose their job, but that's much more important than the love of teaching. But some others are there because of the goal, the big goal to teach the next generation. The people who come to you, do they come more because they care about teaching the next generation or is it more because uh, they worry they will lose their job and they're like, oh my God, my salary, uh, I, I don't want to be unemployed and it's bad time. It really depends. It uh, it could be, even for example, if we talk about my last students, it could be the example when the teacher, uh, he, um, he um, feels bored in uh, his uh, everyday routine for if for example, if we, he uh, teach the same stuff during, for example, twenty years, and he needs some something new, some some fresh air, and uh, he found this in in my course, for example. So it it really depends. Sometimes uh, there is really a, a problem with teaching. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we uh, they tr- try to find some uh, new environment. I mean, uh, new people with open mind, with growth mindset, for example. Because it's not always uh, the case when when you have. Uh, the teachers with whom you work and you can share some ideas how how to teach others it really depends on the place when where, where do you do you work and uh, if it, I, I just want to mention the ted talk of bill gates who made the research uh, where the good uh, good teachers comes to us <laughs> he and he um, he said that it is really important uh, to have some community uh, where teachers can share their uh, uh, ideas, uh, feedback, they can observe other people and can grow inside this community. I guess this is the, like the key case, and I uh, try to generate this community uh, for uh, with with teachers who want it. Great! So you generate community, you help people with their growth mindset and the attitude change. Then to ask you, because you said something, you said if a teacher is teaching the same subject for 20 years, they get bored. Well, 
and don't say it depends because <laughs> you know it's not so uh, helpful do most teachers who come to you are younger teachers who have not 20 years they have maybe four or five years or less of teaching experience and they're open-minded and younger or are they often those who are bored and have been doing it for 10 or 20 years okay so if we talk for example for my last group of students uh, <laughs> there was a, a guy with uh, zero years of experience <laughs> and he's just started uh, he, he just uh, his career and uh, there are where, for, for example, two people with more than 30 years of experience. It's really... And this is the best part of uh, learning something new together because if you have experienced people, they can uh, add something. And if you have uh, the people like Tabula Rasa, they, they can... Uh, they have... They don't have any filters and they can be really open-minded and see uh, some some stuff in other ways. So that's I love it. <laughs> Tabula rasa, clean slate. You're yeah. so wonderful. You know a lot of cool <laughs> things and I'm happy to notice all the knowledge that you have. You're actually doing something really good for Ukraine. I encourage it. I try to ask you some questions that help like understand and have clarity that allows to speak more to the people who are more likely to be uh, good candidates rather than have that painful experience of having speaking with uh, teachers who think they know everything and they tell you, oh, oh, oh go away. I, you know, like it happens to everyone with a good idea that some people will just not be interested and not be even nice about their non-interest. So I try to, to help you find more of the open and nicer kind of people but you're doing something important this is very valuable i encourage it do you have any concluding words just to share with people and if people want to communicate with you and know more about your projects where can they go what links are good oh okay so concluding words um i just want to say that the learning is always a joy uh, and it doesn't matter uh, what is your age, actually. It's always uh, a wonderful when you can, uh, even if you're just, um, for example, 90 years old, <laughs> and you will uh, see something new in this world. Uh, and uh, uh, if about my link so it's uh, it's really easy you can find me uh, on the LinkedIn or uh, just go to our website Proster.com.ua and find uh, some extra information about our course so I guess that's all <laughs> thank you I will put it in the description and that is so funny it reminds me of Gary V Gary Vaynerchuk where he says even if you're 60 you're a baby. You have your whole life in front of you to learn and improve and become better. So I like that you're speaking about being 90. Well, Tanya, it's a pleasure. It was an honor to have you here. And I wish you a wonderful year. And thank you. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> it was really a wonderful discussion. <laughs>